in Jesus' day, it was really easy to spot, um, to spot the uber-religious man walking down the street. You could tell if somebody, particularly men, were super religious or not just by looking at them. Um, they would wear a little box, I'm not kidding you, a little leather box on their head, you know, maybe a couple inches square. And they'd wear another one on their right hand, a little, little box on their right hand, and a leather strap that would run all the way up to their armpit, kind of crisscrossing along the way. There'd be other signs of piety. They'd have a shawl over top of them with tassels, but a lot of people wore those. It was really the boxes. That was the dead giveaway for the super religious fellow. Um, inside these little boxes were little pieces of paper. Um, and on these little pieces of paper, it was vellum, it was like an ancient type of paper. It, on these little pieces of paper would be written verses from the Bible. In all of them, everyone would have one of these verses. One of them would say, um, begins Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Akkad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6. There was always another little piece of paper in them. They had multiples. Another little piece of paper in it that was from Leviticus 19. Want to venture a guess what it says on that little piece of paper from Leviticus 19. I know you know it, so I'm just going to give it to you anyway. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the super religious fellow walking down the street on his way to the market, shawl over top of him, little leather box wrapped around his head, looks like a miner, one running up his arm, he's got a little box on his hand. And this is what it says in him, holds these little scripture verses. You shall, you, it'd be interesting maybe to some of you to know that there are still Jewish men who wear these today. Go to some of the Hasidic neighborhoods in New York City and you'll still find them walking down the street wearing these things. And so in the gospel today, when Luke says a lawyer stood up to ask Jesus a question, it wasn't a lawyer. This, he wasn't, um, it wasn't a barrister. It wasn't like somebody who goes to, to court to argue a case. This was a guy who was an expert in the law of Moses. He was an expert in the Bible. He was a religious scholar. You, it would be better to think of him like a, a university professor in the religion department. That's what he was. He wasn't a lawyer. Don't, don't be confused by that, that nomenclature. He's a scholar. A scholar, a religious scholar, stood up to ask Jesus a question. And I imagine him, he has to. He's got his little box on his head, right? It's called phylactery. He's got a little box on his head and one on his hand. He's, he's asking Jesus a question. Um, you know, the scholars, we like to ask questions, if you think of yourself a scholar. You know, that it, when I taught at the university, I, I love to ask students questions, would ask them all kinds of questions. And sometimes my wife would say to me things like, um, Joe, I know you think you know everything, but you really don't. Um, and I would say to her, I know I don't know everything, but I know a lot, you know. And, and, and I always know more than the knucklehead that's narrating the History Channel documentary, right, on religion. I'm like, that's not true. That is not true. And she'll say something to me like, okay, that's fine, Poindexter. Write a letter. Let me listen to this comment. You know, I want to I hear what's going on here. Um, the, the scholar stands up. I've got a question. I, I want to ask you something. And he asks a question to which he already knows the answer. Um, in my very first uh, 
semester teaching at a university, I taught this course called um, A Survey of the New Testament. And so I would have all students, it didn't matter what department you were in, everybody had to come through this class, everybody had to have a class in the New Testament. And so I would get, you know, students from all sorts of different disciplines, uh, teacher and nursing and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and I didn't know, you know, it had been a long time since I'd been a freshman, so the time between you, when you were actually a freshman and when you start to teach others, I'm gonna, uh, Andrew's going to overhear this because someday he's going to be teaching somebody somewhere. There's a, there's a big gap, and you kind of forget what it's like. And so I wrote the very first midterm exam in this New Testament class, and I thought it was rather easy. I got an 85 when I took it, you know. Um, and, and so I thought it wasn't that hard at all. Um, and, and I sat down to, to watch the students. They're taking the, they got them, you know, their, their papers out. They're, they're starting the exam. And about 10 minutes in, this young lady stands up and she starts walking towards me with the paper and she just throws it on my desk, bursts into tears and runs out of the room. And I looked around at everybody who looked at me kind of horrified as well. And I said, you know, I don't know whether to feel bad for her or to congratulate myself. I'm not sure what I should do in this instance, which was obviously the wrong answer. Um, you know, sometimes you ask questions that you might know the answer to, but you just hope to catch somebody in the wrong place. This is what happens to Jesus. A, a scholar stands up and says, um, teacher, perhaps patronizingly, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Strong question. It has some, some good parts to it. What must I do? It, 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 it deals with personal accountability and responsibility, doesn't it? He, he realizes there's an investment. What must I do? There's something I have to do to inherit eternal life. This is the goal of religion. Not just that I might have life after I die. Of course there's that. But that I might know what it means to truly live now. That I might have abundant life into eternity, not just someday later. But what's it mean to really live? What must I do to really live? Jesus seems to be clever enough to realize that the guy already knows the answer to the question, doesn't he? Uh, so he answers the question with a question. That's the best way to do it. Um, and he says to him, you know, how do you read the Bible? How do you understand it? This is really the essence of his question. I sort of feel like he might have been pointing, like, at the guy's head, you know, with a little box on it. Or, or maybe, he's, maybe he grabs him by the hand and says, I don't know, how do you read the Bible? And the man answers. It's not a big trick question. It's, in, it's on the piece of paper inside the box that he carries around with him every day. It's like the ultimate cheat sheet, right? Like, he could just open it up and perhaps read it. Love the Lord God with all heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. In terms of an academic exercise... If you were taking a test and you were, you were looking for the A, B, C, or D answer, right? You're going to circle the multiple guess. Um, you know, you, you could easily answer that question. But life, of course, is more than just an academic exercise. And so is love. Love is not simply a feeling. It's a compelling reality. Life and love are verbs, really, not nouns. They really describe what you do and how we do it. And so he turns the, the question on the scholar, doesn't he? Because the scholar wants to wiggle out of it when he realizes, you know, there's only one God. Okay, love God with everything you got. But what about neighbor? There's lots of options here with neighbor. I mean, how can we define neighbor? Maybe, maybe we're just a little too close. You know, we, we push it out a little bit. Like, not everybody's a neighbor, really, are they? And that's where we get the story. The story you heard Brian read just a moment ago, the 
the Good Samaritan story. Jesus starts off, there's this fellow walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's going downhill, he's heading, heading to Jericho. And, and you know that the person who's listening to this, that this scholar, envisions himself. This is, the, this is the kind of people that walk down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Women don't walk that way, it's, it's dangerous, they don't do that. Men travel, and the only men coming from Jerusalem to Jericho are religious men, you know, Jewish men, coming out of the city capital on their way. And so he envisions himself. This could have been me, walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of thieves who beat him and strip him and leave him for dead. And you know what he's thinking. You know what the scholar is thinking. Oh, that poor fellow. <laughs> that could have been me. That's a, that's a tragedy. It's a terrible thing to happen. And then Jesus turns it a little bit. Now by chance, this is great, Sukurian, kata sukurian. This is, um, it, it happened to be, it, for chance, by coincidence. I like what Eugene Peterson does with this word. He says, luckily, a priest was coming by. Isn't that a great fortune? You get beaten and you're left for dead. And by the sheer, you know, luck of the universe, the grace of God, whatever you want to call it, a priest is walking down the street. Now, here's a guy you can count on, you know, this guy, you know, with special clothes. And everybody recognizes him right away. He's he, this. Oh, my word. What a great fortune this fellow happens. Um, but you know what happens, right? You heard the story. The priest is coming, and he, and he sees him. This is what Jesus says. He sees him. It's not like he missed him. He just accidentally didn't see him. No fault in that. He sees him, and he walks across the road and crosses past him on the other side. This is awful. What kind of priest are you? This is the worst priest in the world walking down the street. This isn't luckily. This is unluckily. What sort of motive would a person have for doing this? Well, it could have been the real motives, the religious reasons. You know, if you came in contact with a dead body, it, it would contaminate you. A, a priest couldn't do his job if he com- comes in contact. If this guy is dead, after all, there's no sense in doing it. You know, it, you're just going to contaminate yourself. Or, or maybe there's safety reasons. Maybe, maybe he's not hurt at all. This is a hoax. He's laying over there on the side of the road waiting for me to get close to him so he can grab me, and then he's going to rob me. This is the total fake. Better to play it safe. I'll just cross by on the other side of the road. And as luck would have it, guess what? Another person comes down, this time a Levite. He's sort of like a sub-priest, you know. Um, he, he works in the temple. He does all the things. He's been trained. He, he comes from a good family. And, um, and he's, he's, he's surely going to help, right? I mean, this guy's got to help. And you know what happens. He doesn't. He also sees crosses the street, and walks by on the other side of the road. Now, imagine you're the scholar. You're the one who asked the question of Jesus, and you hear this story. Immediately, you're, you're feeling desperate. These guys should have helped. They should have been neighbors. That could have been me lying on the side of the road. Jesus twisted a little bit more. And a third one happened by. This guy was a Samaritan. And if you knew a little bit about Jews and Samaritans, you could inwardly feel this, this scholar groan. No, not a Samaritan. You know, anybody but a Samaritan. I mean, they used to go into the temple and pray. Men would pray. I, I'm sorry, ladies, this is what they would say. God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a Gentile, and that I'm not a Samaritan. 
I mean, of the three worst things in the world to be, I don't want to be any of those. That's what they would say. And here comes a Samaritan. And he stops. And he applies first aid. And he puts the wounded man on his own animal, presumably now having to walk himself. He takes him to an inn and he cares for him. And then he leaves money. If he care for him until he's well, and if there's still more, I'll stop by on my way and I'll pay up whatever I owe you. It's a story of kindness and compassion and mercy. And it comes from the most unlikely of sources. So Jesus ends the little story, doesn't he? Um, with a question. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's a pretty easy question to answer. This isn't, this isn't a difficult midterm in New Testament survey. It's just a simple question, A, B, or C. And he knew the answer, the one who showed mercy. See, the point about religion is it's about life. It's about life abundant. It's about living a full life here and now as well as into the ages. It's also a reminder that when we end our life, we have to stand before the Almighty and give an account. How did you live this life? You had one life to live. You had advantages and disadvantages. How did you live it? Did you love me with all your being? And did you love your neighbor as yourself? It's not easy to say, well, who was my neighbor? You know, after all, I love the neighbors. I love the people who were like me. That's not my neighbor. And that's not love. Love isn't just an internal, warm, fuzzy feeling. It's a compelling one, a one that actually forces us to act. Love for neighbor means that you have to throw out all prejudice, all hatred, all anger. Leaves no room for the things that are so popular in our world, like racism and sexism and all the other isms. (laughs) It's about love and mercy and compassion. It's about doing what's right and doing what's kind, and doing what's merciful. This is what we would want done for ourselves, and this is what Jesus is calling us to do. I think one of the most beautiful things about this story is the way that it happens. That A priest just happened to be walking down the street. A Levite just happened to be walking down the street. A Samaritan just happened to be walking down the street, and they see and they act. It's not necessarily about moving to a different continent. Or going out of your way or, or finding a different neighborhood. It's about loving the people who are right in front of us. Seeing them and loving them. And you know, I, I think that a real dangerous prayer to pray might be, Lord, show me today who you want me to love. Oh my, imagine the path of providence that might take you down places you never thought you were going to go. Love the person in front of us. Which of the three... Which of the three was a neighbor? The one who showed mercy. And so Jesus says to him, all right, go and do likewise. The last little bit of of grammar in this, it's really great in Greek, go and be doing. Go and be doing. Not just a one-off sort of thing, but go and live like this. Go and do this continually, day after day after day, moment after moment after moment. Go and be doing this. The scholar asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Go and live like this. This is what Jesus says to the scholar. And this is what he says to us, too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.